Hello everyone, I'm the voice of the curve, Garrett Mansfield, and this is The Roundhouse, the official podcast of the Altoona Curve. Thanks for joining us once again. Oh, it is October. It's crazy to believe we only have to turn the calendar two more times, and this dreadful year is finally over. Beside that point, I hope this finds you well. It's a privilege to continue providing you this program. But I encourage you as a listener to engage with the show and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear in the future. We've focused on the Taxi Squad over the last several weeks and had a lot of fun doing that. So send me an email to let me know what you thought of the show so far. And if there's former players or coaches or anyone that you'd enjoy hearing from, you can send those emails to gmansfield at altunacurve.com. Again, that's gmansfield at altunacurve.com. gmansfield at altunacurve.com. Great show in store for you today with a great guest to talk about the Pirates season and the offseason coming as we visit with Rob Beardtemple of The Athletic. Before we get to that, we have a few announcements coming your way from the curve. First, we're excited to host a handful of events at the ballpark here over the next several weeks, October 2nd through the 4th, of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Live baseball will be here at PNG Field with a high school baseball showcase presented by Martins. Admission is $10 per day. Check out altunacurve.com for the full game schedule this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Showcases will also be on the schedule for October 10th and 11th and October 24th and the 25th. We're also thrilled to have an official announcement right here on the podcast about an exciting Halloween Fall Beer Fest mashup that we have entitled Frankenpites. That'll be held right here at the ballpark on Saturday, October the 17th. It'll run from 3 to 7 p.m. on on the 17th for those age 21 and over. And it'll be an event that you can actually enjoy wearing your masks to because we hope it's part of your Halloween costume. Those are encouraged and we invite you to come hang out, enjoy a full lineup of fall beers and food while Shallow Nine performs as well. Tickets are $10, and you can get yours in advance at altunacurve.com or by calling the ticket office, 877-99-CURVE. That's altunacurve.com or 877-99-CURVE for tickets to Frankenpints on Saturday, October 17th for Fall Beers, Food, and Shallow Nine right here at PNG Field. If you've been listening for a while, you already know what's coming next. I can't wrap up the promo segment without mentioning the Stockyard Team Store. Open 9 to 4 during the week here at the ballpark and also online at altunacurve.com 24-7. There's a new item in the store that looks great, super comfortable. The Euro Raglan hoodie made by 108 Stitches. Perfect time of year to pick up another sweatshirt to the collection. That is available for pre-order right now at altunacurve.com. Plenty of other sweatshirts and quarter zips to show off your curve pride as the temperatures start to dip. All right, let's dive right into the show, and we're going to lead off today with our guest, Rob Beertemple, the Pirates reporter for The Athletic. Before joining the online sports news media company, he covered the Bucks for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review for 24 years, so he knows that organization and our area very, very well. I hope you enjoy today's chat as we bring Rob Beertemple into the roundhouse. All right, hello, Rob, and thank you so much for taking a slice of now your free time to, to take some time and spend with us here today. 
Well, as much as, uh, yeah, I guess you can call it free time in a way, but it's, you know, you know about baseball. It's pretty much 24-7, 365 now. So uh, even in a pandemic year, there's still uh, lots lots going on in the off season. Oh, definitely. And here, even just a few days into the offseason, uh, some of that has happened as well. There, there is a lot to dive into with the Pirates and as well as the Curve. So let's start unpacking something uh, first from your end, because the Athletic, they've really grown over the last many years. Uh, it, and it was a mass movement for a lot of very talented journalists like yourself. So for our listeners that not, might not know as much, uh, but they hear this term, the athletic, you know, thrown around a lot uh, here. Uh, can you kind of describe the platform and also about your I'm joining the athletic moment? <laughs> yeah, you know, I had the same reaction probably that a lot of people did a few years ago when I would, it started popping up in my Twitter feed, you know, so-and-so from the athletic or just the athletic. And I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, I, I hadn't, uh, hadn't heard much about it because it started, I guess, in like Chicago and Toronto, mostly as a hockey platform and then started taking off uh, kind of slowly for the first few months. And then, yeah, it, it, it spread quickly to now we have, um, we have regular beat writers covering all the MLB teams, NFL, hockey, NBA, uh, auto sports, and we even have people uh, covering the Premier League, a bunch of talented guys over in Great Britain covering the teams of uh, the English Premier League uh, soccer, football, as they say that. So, you know, it's, it's, you're right, it has grown uh, pretty pretty steadily, and, and there were some concerns, like everybody else during the pandemic, is, you know, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it through? Because, you know, the last, there were no sports being played, and that it was a tough stretch. Um, getting through those four or five months of, you know, the, the quarantine time, quote-unquote. I, I spent a lot of time talking to former Pirates and Pirates coaches and things like that, people I hadn't talked to in some cases in, in a decade or more. And that was, you know, in some ways it was kind of fun being able to reconnect with those guys. So it's uh, it's been an interesting gig <laughs> this year and pretty much nonstop since I joined three years ago. It's um, It just seemed for me at the time to be a good move to make. Uh, you know, newspaper coverage was changing and the athletic was – was offering a venue that we could write, you know, stories where you can stretch your legs a little bit as a writer and do some longer, more exploratory or investigative, whatever you want to call it, type stories where you can be a little bit more featurey and a little bit less of just quick hit kind of stuff. So that's kind of, you know, how I got here and, and, and where we are now. Great. You know, you hit on that freedom as a writer that you now have mm-hmm. with The Athletic and where we're at other places you might not have that ability to really get into some fascinating behind the scenes stories and you've certainly been able to to do that over the last several seasons and you know one example mm-hmm. you you looked at when Quinn Priester was added to the taxi squad and you you looked at the the construction of his backyard and how he kept himself <laughs> in shape like that, that was, that's great stuff that's the kind of thing you're looking at I encourage everyone to go read read that kind of stuff from Rob as well but this was a year that, and you mentioned it. It was. It's very. It's been very strange. It's been tough to get access. You're you're basically limited to yeah. Zoom. Uh, how much of a challenge was that for you and your colleagues this year that were tasked with give, with giving fans some insight that they're they're desperately and very hungry for? Yeah, it really was. I mean, matter of fact, I was I was just on the phone earlier today with uh, with Jared Hughes, who uh, you know is now with the, spent this season with the Mets. I was with the Pirates for a while, the Reds. And, you know, he and I were both kind of talking about the, the Zoom experience this summer. And I don't think it's 
it's it's something that you know, neither side, neither the players nor the the reporters, are especially happy about it because you know you're for the players they were a lot of times, especially if they were on the road, stuck in a in a spare room or a closet or something where they had a you know a computer set up to do it, and you know they were you know pulled out of their regular routine to go do it. And with us, I mean, all the writers are on the same call at the same time, and you know you, it's just not you know, how our business really works a lot of time. You actually do a lot of those larger group interviews, but so much of our work really is done one-on-one where you can wander through the clubhouse and, and just get a sense of, of the mood and the temperature there, what guys are think, thinking, what they're feeling, whether the team is is connected. And, you know, I mean, that was huge last year when the Pirates had some internal problems. And a lot of that you could tell just by walking through the clubhouse before a game, right after a game, this year you can't get that same kind of feel, and you know it's it, it's been hard I think for for us at times to convey some of the inner workings and some of the emotional part of the game that goes into it. And I, you know for me I, I like writing so much about the intangibles of the game, um, what what a guy feels at the play, what, what you know what goes on before the game, what he's thinking, who he talks to, who he learned from, and you know it, it's just been forced to try to pull up that information in different ways and in different uh, to different degrees, I guess, than we had in the past. Yeah, certainly a challenge, but you guys, all of you did the very best that you could, all of you guys that cover the team on a daily basis, and to get into that, into some of those, those daily storylines that came up that you were able to get a hold of, what was one or two of some of your favorites throughout the 2020 Pirates campaign? Boy, uh, couple of stories. Well, I mean, I, I think it was an interesting season. I think just in general, it was an interesting season because you knew coming in with the new front office and the new coaching staff that they were going to have to spend this year as kind of an evaluation process or, you know, in terms of, you know, just seeing what they have to work with and, and learning how to connect with the guys on their team. And, you know, there were some pieces along the way uh, some stories where I think you, know, you, you could kind of see that as to how like, I tried to convey how what management's looking for, you know, more than just, you know, can you know what kind of bat the ball <laughs> productivity you have or, you know, how fast is your 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 fastball or things like that, but really trying to get a sense for what they're looking for, and 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 some of that, I think you know they they had the ability to pull it off, and I think at times there was frustrations. And I think just talking with Ben Sherrington yesterday in a story that I did today, he, he admitted that there's a lot of things that they still don't know. They're still trying to figure out planning for next year uh, and, and figuring out what they have to work with for next year. So for me, that was, you know, that was something that it, it, was, it was a challenge, I think, for this year, but it was something I enjoyed observing and writing about, which is the process of, of this new group figuring out what it has. And one of the things here from, from the Altoona standpoint was – the major league debut watch and i know key brian hayes was a guy everyone was like okay let's you know when is this going to happen blake cedarland another one and when those two finally happened and to see the results that they put up was it was it just a, a an exciting time in pittsburgh as it was in altoona very much i mean i think um there was obviously expectations that he would you know get here you know at some point this year and I, you know, after seeing him in spring training, and it, you know, yes, it's true, spring training is not, you know, real life <laughs> in baseball, but seeing just how poised he was and how confident he was 
I really had a sense that he was ready to get called out. I was, you know, just you know, personally, I was a little disappointed when he wasn't on the opening day roster. Although he was, you know, also off for a while on the IL at the beginning of the season because of the virus. But um, I, I, you know, when he finally did get here, there's that sense of, of is he really going to be that good? It, it, it's such a weird season, and he's being thrown into a weird circumstance. Thank you so much delivered <laughs> is what people were expecting. It was, it was refreshing to see a guy go out and have that kind of success right off the jump. Um, you know, led the team in war initiatives. The only guy above point, you know, above one in war. Uh, five home runs. The, the defense has just been really as advertised. And for me, it's more than just the, the physical, you know, catching, you know, catching the balls, making the, you know, making the stops at third base. It's the, it's the savvy and, and field awareness of the Stassen hitter. There was one play, uh, runner at third base, there was a ground ball when Cabrian was, was going to his left towards first base, got the ball, and, you know, he really had the, the wherewithal to, to know that that runner might break and stop, and sure enough, the runner had gone, made a perfect turn of the play, they got the guy. Just stuff like that. It, you know, we were even talking in the press box, you know, a year or two or three ago, that play would have had such a different ending <laughs> that maybe whoever was at third base wouldn't have thought about the runner at third and he would have scored or the throw would have gone to the backstop or in this concourse off the concourse or something like that. But it was just a, a, a pure and simple, instinctual and perfectly executed play. And to see a guy who at that point had been in the majors for just a couple of weeks pull it off like that, um, it was, it was fantastic to see. It's really, I think, uh, a sign of good things ahead. Yeah, and it was certainly a treat to watch him over 140 games in 2018. Uh, to go to uh, mm -hmm. the alternate site, uh, informate, like the, just, just the focal point here in Altoona throughout the summer, you know, how much attention did, was paid to it uh, from, uh, from, from the Pittsburgh media side? And was, it, was there ever ever a moment when, you know, maybe a game was out of hand and normally during a season, uh, you guys in the press box are looking at scores and uh, of the minor league games and seeing what, what certain intriguing prospects are up to in player development, but there was none of that this year. You were kind of had to focus in on what the Pirate game was. Yeah, you're right. It, it was, there was no diversion of being able to follow, follow how guys were doing in the farm system. And there, there was a couple times this year where I would get a text message from a scout uh, or, or you know, there's a couple different scouts, and they would be like, "Hey, what are you hearing about these guys at the satellite camp?" Because, like us, you know, there was there were no games to watch, and they were not allowed into the into the stadiums either. To, you know, to be able to watch the satellite camps in action, so they, you know, had very little to go on. And you know, I would say, "Well, I've heard this guy is doing this or that or the other thing," but you know, it's hard to say for sure because I haven't been able to see it either. And that was hard. I mean, I would have, I, I would have liked to have gone up to Altoona a couple of times, especially when things started really going south for the Pirates after about I don't know, three or four days. Uh, <laughs> I would have liked to have gone to Altoona to be able to watch those guys practice and and, and do the sim games and whatever else they, uh, they were doing up there. But you know, it just wasn't possible because of the protocols and everything. And you understand that, but it's just it was a little difficult, and it it made it uh, challenging in a way because when a guy would get called up. You wouldn't uh, have as good a sense as to what he was, you know, what, what is he? Is he swinging the bat well or not? Is he doing this or that? Or has he been bothered by an injury? You really didn't have any sense for any of that kind of thing because there were no stats, no game, you know, point of reference for it. So that was difficult. 
know what to expect from a guy. So I guess in that sense, you had to pay attention to the Pirates game a little bit sharper than usual just to get a sense of where these guys were at because you, you really didn't know when they got there. Oh, certainly. And that, that was certainly a, a, a lot of fans share that same sentiment with being able to you know, wish there was an opportunity, but but clearly because of mm-hmm. everything going on, I mean, there, there's a reason of understanding. Uh, but one, one player that, that was here that maybe, well, obviously, because he wasn't part of the organization when the uh, when this season began. Uh, Nick Gonzalez, after the draft, joined this satellite yeah. camp, got great reviews from the coaching staff uh, that, that you were able to to talk to uh, to the manager and, and the pitching coach uh, about everything that was happening here at one point, and you were able to write that down. And, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of intrigue around that young man as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think people already are – because you hear, you know, I mean, the, the phrase "fast track" is attached to him. You know, he could be a guy that could get here uh, a little quicker than some, simply because he has the college experience behind him and he has such an advanced approach at the plate. He's a polished hitter, smooth fielder. That um, you know, you would think that maybe he wouldn't need to spend you know uh, years and years in the minors, as we see with some guys. To, you know, before he gets to the big leagues. So there's already, I think, a good deal of interest in people here in Pittsburgh as to, you know, what's he like? What's what's his playing style like? Uh, when are we going to get the chance to see him in action? Uh, all those kinds of things. And, yeah, it won't. Uh, I get a sense just talking to coaches and, and, and people who were around him when he played in New Mexico State that it, uh, it probably won't be long before he gets to the big leagues. Yeah, it could be a very quick return back down to them, maybe even for next year could be a real aggressive yeah. track because we've seen that with uh, with Ben Charrington when he was within the Red Sox organization and again with the Blue Jays they were not afraid to, to push guys along regardless of age or how long they've been in an organization mm-hmm. yeah and, uh, and that's I think part of what we're seeing you know, which, which makes some of you know Ben's his moves that he's going has made and, and will make I mean I think back to the Marte trade last year where they got Piguero and Brendan Malone you know, two lower-level minors guys, but with pretty big upsides. And, you know, talking with people in spring training, I very much had the sense that, you know, they were, you know, if they felt it was warranted, they were going to be aggressive with their placements in the minors and getting them up the ladder. So even though you think, oh, they got this guy as an A-ball, we're not going to see him for six or seven years. But in this case, you know, if, if the talent is there, if the production is there, uh, certainly you're right with, with Charrington's track record with other clubs. You know, he isn't afraid to move guys along, give them a greater challenge, and if they succeed, keep moving them along until they reach the big leagues. Well, certainly, even regardless of some of the quote-unquote roadblocks on the major league roster, mm-hmm. that is some things that really have to get uh, refined during this offseason so that some of those maybe assignments will look clearer. But uh, to go further mm-hmm. with, with some player development, just to get specific uh, right now, is it's kind of continuing. The Florida Instructional League is, is getting underway and starting to see some more training down there. And Ben Charrington did talk about that this week when he spoke with the media in his uh, close of the season briefing. Yeah, he said he's got about, uh, about 50 guys down there, 50 players um, working out. At, at this point, they're just kind of on the fields. Uh, getting their legs under them a little bit, you know, working out the kinks because, you know, they've all been training throughout these past, you know, however many months it's been since the end of spring training. But, uh, you know, every guy 
has a little bit of a different situation. You know, some guys were able to get access to better facilities or maybe some guys had different kinds of uh, trainers that they worked before, you know, or, or, or knew of or think coaches and things like that. So just trying to get everybody kind of on that same page up to speed with each other is going to be the, you know, the, the goal, the first, you know, maybe, you know, four or five days of, of instructs down there. And I think the goal then is once they get to mid-October sometimes, start playing some games. Um, not clear if, if these are just going to be intra-squad games with 50 guys. You got you know a chance to do that maybe. Um, I don't know if they'll be facing groups from other um, other clubs as you know as, as down in the past. Maybe I don't know. If, yeah, I guess it depends on what kind of protocols, testing and whatnot they can get set up down there. Um, but at some part, you know, it's, it's good if nothing else just to have those guys on the field with eyes on them from management and coaches doing things because uh you know for a lot of them they just haven't had a chance to to get live at bats or to face live batters and that kind of thing for so long yeah that's incredibly well said you know outside of the the uh, about a dozen that that were in altoona for a little while that will be in a part of that camp as well uh you, you mentioned a couple of those and uh, nick, nick gonzalez the ever piguero will, will be down there and Brett Malone, you know, mm-hmm. just just a good group of guys that that were here near the end or the the entire time, and we look at some of that, the future taking shape, and you looked at the major league team down the stretch, and you had a lot of youth out on the field all at once, and should that young core mm-hmm. be a focal point going forward? Build it, build it up around Keller, Brubaker, and Cedarland, Hayes, Tucker, you know, Reynolds, and just kind of fill the pieces in, or you know, outside of the what roles they fill up. Yeah, yeah, that's I think that's pretty much the the plan that uh, the Charrington and his, and his guys are looking to fill is they they want to make the team um, a little more athletic maybe in some ways. I mean, you know, it's it's still not going to be a big power hitting team, so they're going to have to find ways to score runs. They're going to have to find ways to prevent runs. And well, I know I make it sound so easy, don't I? <laughs> but it's something that they try to do. Uh, more often than not under hurdle, you know, they, they talk about taking extra bases and, and pushing the envelope of the running game and being sound defensively. But those things never quite materialized other than that short stretch they had, 13, 14, and 15, when they, when they were the wild card team. Other than those years, and even at times during those seasons, they really struggled with those little things that they need to do to give them an edge, you know, or at least get even with you know the big, the bigger slugging type teams. And I think if if you, if you look at the, the way they've used guys this year, they gave a guy like Eric Gonzalez a real long look at short, trying to figure out does he fit there. What what does that mean for Newman? Uh, we saw Tucker go to the outfield. He never played a game at shortstop. I still can't believe that the Cole Tucker didn't play a game at shortstop this season. But the fact that he got some versatility under his belt, learn how to play outfield in the big leagues on the fly, you know, which you know, it's an impressive thing to do for a kid that you know really never played the outfield even in Little League to go out there and learn how to do it in the big leagues. Pretty good step forward. And I, I think that's, you know, they're, they're trying to find ways that they can take advantage of the skill sets that they have with the guys that they have. And you're going to see some departures this winter. You're going to see some, you're going to see some trades probably and, 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 and some non-tenders, I guess, when that time rolls around. But I think the, the younger core of this team that they have, you're right, they're going to bring up some guys a little bit at a time for the minors when they're ready over the next season or two. And then once they finally get that group established, then fill in from outside to kind of supplement things. 
Yeah, that's somewhat the key to building a long-term sustaining winner. We've seen that formula work you know, in Kansas City a number of years ago, and now they're in the process of doing it over again. Uh, but you mentioned departures, and it's not just players uh, right now that are having roles change or, or things like that. It was talked about the other day. Farm director Larry Broadway will transition to a new role, so that's another change in the front office now as Ben Charrington's first full offseason gets going. Yeah, not not a real surprising move there. And I've you know, looked at looked at other clubs. You know, when you bring in a new front office, you know, you're obviously going to have some holdovers, and you need to have some holdovers, simply because they know, you know, the, the players and the systems and the coaches and and what you know what have an idea of a depth chart, a bigger picture kind of thing. And it, it's helpful for a new GM to have that kind of experience around. But at the same time, you know, the GM does want his own people in those jobs eventually, guys that he's maybe worked with before or, or have a similar philosophy. So you look back a couple of years ago when Baltimore changed GMs. It took them more than a year and a half, really, to, to finally get the people slotted in that front office where they wanted to. They had a number of uh, position changes and, and personnel departures and such. So I'm not surprised that here we are almost a year after Ben Charrington was hired. We're starting to see some more reassignment, reassigning and, and, and job filling within the system. Even after a weird season like this, you still you know, you still need to move forward on a timetable and uh it's good that I think that you know Larry will will find will still find a role in the system because he he has you know still has plenty of things to offer, has some, some knowledge of the skills set there. Uh and it's just been looking to, you know, go with somebody that uh you know he's maybe more familiar with or has worked with before or like you say has a similar kind of just a general philosophy that that'll click with his. Uh, not a not a you know not a good thing bad thing against or for Larry. It's just uh, time for a change, and it's the way it rules in the industry. Oh, certainly, and here over uh, the next hopefully days, but it could be weeks. Could be an answer, <laughs> definitive answer to the draft pick order uh, coming up for July. Mm-hmm. So we have nine months uh, to figure out of uh, the potential number one <laughs> selection for the Pittsburgh Pirates. In 2021, seems to be consensus right now of who the top two prospects would be, but also uh, hopefully they play a season to get a chance to get a full, I guess, background and and do all the homework possible uh, without much of really a showing from anybody in 2020 on the college level. Yeah, yeah. It's one thing that Ben mentioned yesterday is you know he's hoping like everyone is that they can actually get on college and high school campuses and see games this spring to help make that process of selecting, you know, your, your, your guys a little bit, a little bit easier, a little bit more well-informed. Um, I think is, you know, considering the challenge that they faced this year, I think the Pirates did a pretty good job of compensating and, and working out a system, whether it was through a lot, just a lot of extensive film work. And they, they had some of the individual players would, you know, send clips and video to the Pirates for them to be able to review, and they, were, they did Zoom interviews with the different players to get a sense of who these guys were, on and off the field. Um, you know, that's a it was a good way to make do, but in the you, know, you can't really sustain over a number of years that kind of. You really do need to have the hands on, you know, on the field, seeing what a guy can do type experience. And yeah, you're right. I think there's a lot of consensus that you know Kuma Rocker is, is the number one pick next year. Uh, it was a little bit of an interesting battle there at the end between the Pirates and the Rangers. 
to see who would quote unquote win that that number one pick by finishing last. MLB still hasn't said for sure as of whatever time it is is here today what exactly the draft order is going to be. Um, in my opinion, that's a little disappointing. I mean, they've they've had months to work this out, and they just put themselves in a position. You know, you kept seeing things like you know tank for Kumar or stuff like that, and on Twitter, it, there's the, you know I'm not saying any team is tanking, but just the fact that there was no established draft order made people think it could happen. It, it would have been helpful if MLB would have said earlier and, and officially this is how the draft order is going to be. In the meantime, though, we're still waiting for it, but the assumption is it's going to be the reverse finish from this year, in which case the Pirates will have that number one pick for the first time in a in a while. Yeah, certainly, and that would be that would have been nice, but obviously the circumstances have uh, have forced other decisions mm-hmm. to be made. But you know, Rob, here in closing, just want to get get a look in on the playoffs so far. I mean, the Pirates they only played six games against teams that didn't make the playoffs you know, with the Central Region. You know, three against Detroit, three against Kansas City. Everybody else got to the postseason. Now two of them, as we're talking here, have already been eliminated, and three more are on the brink. So one observation I'm having is, was the Central not as strong as we thought, at least as a region, now that they're playing inter- or interdivision play for the first time here in the postseason? Yeah, I, I, I think maybe to a degree, yeah, it, it was. I mean, it was, I you, you just, it, 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 there was a stretch, I remember just a few years ago where the Central was like the glamour, especially the NL Central is the glamour division of baseball. And big things do kind of run in cycles a little bit. And, and, and now, you know, not so much. And the White Sox were an unknown quantity. And I think they, they might have even, they might even admit in their private moments that they were maybe a year ahead of where they thought they would be schedule wise in terms of, you know, peaking and getting back to the playoffs. Uh, but there are teams, you know, I still can't believe the Minnesota Twins have lost 18 consecutive playoff games, which, you know, how do you do that? That's just, I can't even wrap my head around that. Um, but the, you look at the Brewers who who got in with a losing record. Um, you know, I, I, I like the fact that there's this playoff tree and we've had like a ton of games every day for the past couple of days. But I, you know, just I have to admit, I wasn't a fan of the of the idea of expanding the field this much because this is what you got. You got, you know, I think it was two teams actually that got in with sub 500 records this year, and it just, just doesn't seem that you should be rewarded for a you know a 490 season with a ticket to the playoffs. So, you know, maybe that's something. Hopefully, you know, if they keep this format, you know, if the season stays at 162 or or is modified to shorter than that a little bit or something. Maybe we don't see a situation where losing teams get into the postseason again, but I, I do think that yeah, it may be in the minds of some people. I think the, the, the central, the AL and the NL central, were maybe a little overrated, a little bit too much as expected from them. Um, yes, they got a lot of teams in there, but I don't think anyone really. Certainly, I, you know, I, I didn't see the Brewers as, as much of a threat. I, but I did see the Cardinals play this year. I really, I just saw a lot of holes there that I, you know thought the other teams could exploit and that's kind of working out that is the way it is yeah and we'll see how the the rest of it unfolds certainly uh as long as there's one team in that region that is still going maybe they show uh just how good 
the it was as a whole. We'll see how it all plays out. But but Rob, that's all I have for you today. This was really really fun. I hope you had a have a great off season. But I, I gotta say this for our Penn State fans, this might be the happiest guy that Penn State football is gonna be back on the field. So uh, <laughs> hopefully in a few yeah, weeks. I was pretty psyched when they decided to come back. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you're not alone. I think I think I felt the whole state jump in excitement uh, when that happened uh, here here at Altoona. But hey, we're, we'd be happy to have you back as, as more news unfolds this winter, but we wish you all the best here in the uh, the months ahead. Thanks, man. You too. Take care. And uh, yeah, anytime, just give me a buzz. Uh, I'll be around just hanging out at home like everybody else in the world. <laughs> <laughs> all right, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that talk with Rob Beertemple of The Athletic. Really great insight there about the Pirates season and what's on the horizon for the club. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast today wherever you listen to your podcast. We go through every bit of the feedback, and we really encourage it as well. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming events down here at the ballpark. Again, visit altunacurve.com for all of those details. I wish you all well, and I'll be back to talk to you next week. I'm Garrett Mansfield, and this was The Roundhouse, the official podcast of the Altuna Curve.